0: Good morning guys morning. I walked in this morning and people said people said to me that they were some of you said to me they're they praying for me I appreciate that and there's a, a gigantic task in front of us this morning a huge amount of verses and I was thinking doing the math in my mind even if we spend a minute on each one of those verses, we will go over our time today so uh, so, they might be a little bit different, but we're going to talk, we're going to begin to talk about our our text here in Acts chapter 18. Can anybody see the, the screen, you guys, from the side? I don't want to be in front of you. Um, but I do appreciate that and appreciate you guys coming and praying. And uh, as I was listening to Pastor David uh, pray, I just, what an appropriate time to actually study uh, Paul's missionary journeys and to realize that. The, uh, the declaration of the gospel was the only hope that they had to, to be able to fix anybody else's sins and problems and direct them in, in, in a position that they need to go, and that's exactly what our nation needs, right? And I don't say just that in America, but I say that for any other nation, because Jesus is the hope of that. So um, let's dive into this text here. Um, we got a few things going on here. We're going to find... Uh, from Apollos being being part of the ministry to uh, Jewish exorcism and uh, exorcists and, uh, and all kinds of things going on in the in the city of Ephesus, as we begin to navigate the third uh, missionary journey here, um, I want to show you just a, a quick map here as we look at this. This is just a, just to give you an idea of a, the network of roads in the ancient Roman world. It was a very soph- sophisticated. A uh, place they could navigate, they could walk from one place to the other. And as we'll see today in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 18, and I'm going to read to you right now really quickly. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, just to put in perspective, Alexandria in Egypt is all the way in Ephesus doing ministry now, and he's going to end up meeting Apollos and Priscilla. Well, let's, let's, let's walk through this text together in just the beginning, and I want you to observe, observe just a few things here. Here's verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a na- native of Alexandria, arriving in Ephesus. He was, and listen to what the text says about this guy, how, he, how he's described here. He was an eloquent speaker, and as I read this, I thought about this guy maybe speaking just like Al George, okay? That was just my imagination here. Perhaps I'm wrong. But it would be nice to have his kind of voice like no, know, just 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 to put it in perspective. He was well versed in the scriptures. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and with great enthusiasm he spoke and taught accurately the facts about Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. Now, in your notes, you got a few things in there, just to mention the four four major aspects here. He was an eloquent speaker, which means that he was a learned man. He had learned the skill of being able to communicate the Word of God. He was highly qualified to do so. He was well-versed in Scripture, which means that he was very aware of the Old Testament Scripture. He had been taught well the Old Testament. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, so he means he's he's familiar with the, the teachings. And as we know now from verse 25, he's familiar with the teachings of Jesus based on John the Baptist. And then lastly, he was fervent in spirit with great enthusiasm, which means he, he boiled over. And, and that's kind of convict, convicting to me because as I think about my relationship, my relationship with the Lord, not as a pastor or a missionary, but as a believer, is, is that a qualification of my life? Is that a description of Michael as a person, as a believer? He's boiling over. And I wonder if that's true for us. Now, somebody once told me that there's, there's five Gospels, and I thought, that's, that's heresy. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the person says, and there's you. It not isn't that, isn't that true that the church and the world outside will judge the, the first four Gospels based on the fifth one? How we represent those four Gospels? And so there's no problem with the Word of God being able to actually convict people of their sins, but there is a problem with us, perhaps, living the way that God wants us to live. If we just focus on those four elements, that he was an eloquent speaker, maybe we are not. He was well-versed in the Scriptures, maybe we're not, but can we do better? Absolutely. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. Can we be instructed? And I think that's why you're here today. And can we have enthusiasm in our life because of what the Lord has already done for us? Now, if you notice on page number two above, it says, Apollos was a figure caught in transition. And thus, he needed to be brought up to date. His preaching was not inaccurate, but it was incomplete. Now, do you you understand the difference, right? Inaccurate versus incomplete he didn't have the whole gospel but what he did have he spoke accurately now the question is that comes up is what's the difference because it says he knew about the baptism of john so what's the difference between the baptism of john and the baptism of the christian baptism that we go through now what do you think what's 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 the primary difference he had them to repent when they were about being baptized. Baptized as a figure of the death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, in one way, he had to repent for his sins and believe in what was coming. Right? That was the Old Testament—you repent and believe. Like the New Testament, now we 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 believe because what was proclaimed has already come. So he didn't know the completion of Jesus' work in that sense. And this is what we said. Now look at verse 26. He began to speak fears out, speak out fears, fearlessly in the synagogues, which is really similar to what Paul is doing. Paul is always doing fear fearlessly or boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, listen to this. Listen and just think if this would be our attitude towards anybody else in the same condition. When they heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him in more... <coughs> Accurately. So he's he, he they take him aside and they explain him what's going on. And I think it's really interesting because I sat there and as I, as I read this text multiple times, I thought, if I was there, I was probably just going to expose this guy to the reality that he's unaware of what's going on. Maybe I would humiliate him. But they take him aside privately and they explain to him more accurately, with more completion of what's going on here. And he's actually, once again, he's boldly proclaiming the gospel. Now, here's a question for you. It's in your notes here. Why is boldness without biblical accuracy dangerous? Why is boldness without biblical accuracy so dangerous? Okay, so I can have all the courage in the world and have the wrong message. What? Okay. So, so even when we talk about our motives or our intentions, I can have good intentions, but I may not have God's intentions. Well, the power is in truth. And the more you resemble truth, the more power will be manifest. So, the power is in truth, which means there is a foundation. Now, listen to this right here in your notes. Peters, Peter Peter uh, Peterson has a great. Um, uh, statement here. He says his deficiency of information prompts Aquila and Priscilla, listen to this, to minister to him, not to rebuke him in a timely and discreet fashion when they take him aside. And then Bruce says this, that how much better is to give such a private help to a preacher whose ministry is defective than to correct or denounce him publicly? Yeah, and and if you think about discipleship, it, this passage also shows this guy knows what he's talking about. He doesn't know everything he should be talking about. He knows what he's talking about, and he's also a guy who needs to be disciple. He needs to be brought to, up to speed of what has really taken place here. Now, listen to verse 27 and 28 here. When Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, The brothers, listen to what's going on here between this church. The brothers, which is more than one, encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he assisted greatly those who had believed by grace, which means that he's he's working in the edification of the church right now. He's working inside with believers to edify them in the grace of Jesus. For he refuted the Jews, verse 28, rigorously, In public debate, demonstrating from the scriptures that that the Christ was Jesus. Now, did you see what's different about his message? He has learned what was missing, and now the first opportunity that Luke has to write this about Apollos, he says, and now he's not only doing what he was doing before, but he's demonstrating from the scriptures foundation that the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was supposed to come, and that was the hope of John the Baptist. He was introducing the Messiah was already here. Which means that he's not only doing the edification inside of the body, but he's doing evangelism outside of the body. Now, if I were to tell you that Christianity is more than the one hour and 35 minutes you stay in church on Sunday, you would say, yeah, duh, that's absolutely true. But is it really? Uh, For him, it was true based on how he lived. So he, he encouraged the bro- he's encouraged by the brothers to do something. He's assisting the church, and he's refuting the Jews outside. And so the involvement here is, number one, encouragement. You see that's a necessity inside of the body. Number two, there's a, a letter being recommended about this guy because they want the other brothers to understand that this guy's part of the body. Now, we're going to leave here. We're going to go to, a, to a, a little complicated text here. Not complicated, but probably the least important passage of this text here. And I'm not going to spend too much time here. But verses 1 through 7 talks about the disciples of John. And here's, here's what it says. Now, I want to highlight a few things. Thank you for, for reading that. I want to highlight a few things here. Did you notice in verse, in verse 1, I guess, at the end of verse 1, it says, he found some disciples there he he his his writing saying that those believers who have not yet received the holy spirit are disciples okay most likely they were jewish believers who have actually heard the message of john the baptist they actually had believed in what john the baptist was explaining that the messiah was about to come and had even heard but but the text says that they have not even heard that the holy spirit actually was supposed to come which was, in one way, an announcement that Jesus would make later. Now, Swindle, in your notes at the bottom of page two, makes this great statement. He says, Paul probed, listen to this, their understanding to diagnose their need to determine whether they were ignorant or rebellious. He neither questioned nor denied their sincerity. He didn't probe their theology, examine their deeds, or measure their pity. He instead inquire about whether they had received the Holy Spirit. And he says, God responds to genuine trust in Jesus by giving the gift of the Holy Spirit always. Now, I'm not sure if I agree with Swindle 100%, because there are times we need to question somebody else's theology. And I think there's times that we need to probe for other things to be able to understand what's going on, what's inside of this person. But I agree with him that, God is always going to respond to genuine trust in the New Testament by giving the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ephesians chapter 1 says that God is going to use the Holy Spirit to seal us, right? So verse 5 through 7, we see this unusual outpouring of the Spirit after they believed. And by the way, if you're thinking about what is, what is, the, what is the answer for the difference between our baptism and the baptism of John the Baptist, look at verse 4. Paul said, John the Baptist, with the baptism of repentance that you guys talked about, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus so that was one thing. Now there's the completion. John John the Baptist, baptism is not required anymore because we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, in your notes, you have a little chart here, and I put it on the screen for you. I'm not going to go over this, but this is just four different instances that show the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Okay? So you have Acts chapter 2. You have Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritan Believers, and this is the interesting part, the subjects in here. From the Jewish believers to the Samaritan believers to chapter 10, the Gentile believers, and in, in, now in, in, in Acts chapter 19, Jewish believers who believed in the baptism of John. Now, why is this? What is this demonstrating to us? Do you guys remember the Great Commission? Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the whole world. God is fulfilling what he promised the church would be able to participate in by showing us this. So here's an application for us as we looked about this. Repentance is not without trust in Jesus Christ. Very simple. Repentance is not about; is not enough without trust in Jesus Christ. Now, as we move through this, here's what we're going to notice: God's. I think we're going to notice God's extraordinary power in Paul's ministry, and what I, the reason why I'm saying that is because of verse eight. Look at what verse eight has to say. Verse eight says, "God." So Paul entered the synagogue and spoke out fearlessly for three months, addressing and convicting convincing them about the kingdom of God. So he's he's working in the convincing process, but the significance of this goes all the way down to the end of this segment. This this section here in verse 20 it says in this way the word of the Lord continue to grow in power and to prevail. Now, here's what's happening. Here's, here's just a layout, a quick map for us to see this, the, the layout of Ephesus. You have the theater, you have the Harbor Road, you have the Agora, which are going to be major parts of this story right now moving forward. And I'll show you the map again in just a second. But here's what we see. The theater was a theater of 20, probably set about 24,000, 25,000 people. And it was a massive structure, okay? When I look at that, I think about soccer games in Brazil. Anyways, that's just where my memory goes, Um, Gladiators. No, never mind. It usually happens in soccer games there anyways. (laughs) So here's verse 8. So Paul entered the synagogue, once again, nothing new, and spoke out fearlessly, boldly, once again, that's a very key word in, in the book of Acts, for three months. So he's doing this for three months. He's addressing and convincing them about the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you a question here. What's the difference... Between convince versus convict, you can you can actually you can actually use this in two ways. Convince is uh, has idea to to make someone believe. To convict has the idea of exposing someone's guilt. Now notice what Paul is doing. He's convincing them through biblical arguments. He's not convicting them of anything. This is the role, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. This is the human responsibility before the world. Now, there's a passage in First Peter that's actually fascinating. You, you can turn in there just really quick, 1 Peter chapter 3. And you're very familiar with this text here in verse 15 that says this, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. But now, did you notice what comes in verse 16? Listen to this. Yet do it with courtesy and respect. Courtesy and respect. Give an answer to convince the people with courtesy or love, in many ways it's translated, and respect. Now, here's what's going on. Paul is going to reason with them, and he's going to reason them in the sense of building them up to be able to believe he, he, he found success before, but right now it's, he's not going to come to a place where he finds any success in here. there's going to be There's going to be no fruit. In the description of the audience here, look at this. The congregation reviling the way, but some of them were stubborn and refused to believe. This is completely different than Paul's former visit in here. They refused to believe, and because of that, they refused to believe reviling the way, which is another key word in this passage. They revile the way before the congregation. So he left them, and he took the disciples to this place called the Lecture of Tyrannus. And he's teaching them, and he's he's doing this on page four. You have a little description in there. The location of this place is actually um, unknown. But Paul uses this location for two years. You can't do in the synagogue only three months? We're going to continue to do what we came here to do, which is to preach the gospel, to be able to share the good news of the gospel. So he does this. And then he moves on to chapter um, to verses 11 through 15. He says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of But by Paul's hand. So now here's where the title comes for this section. It's not Paul's ability to accomplish anything, and it's not our ability to accomplish anything, but it's God's ability to perform miraculous things through his people. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's using Paul, and that's a description of God's work through him. And he says, so that with the purpose that when the handkerchiefs and aprons, um, they had Touch his body, were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. But some itinerant Jewish exorcists try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by the evil spirits. Now listen to the irony of this passage. Here's what they said. I sternly warn you, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches... And he's talking about verse 14. Now, seven sons of, them, of a man named Shiva or Siva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. But the evil spirit replied to them, I know about Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus, he knows about Jesus. And I'm acquainted with Paul, but who are you? Now, <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I've heard that question before being asked, and that's never a good question. Even when my daughters do it, they've never said that. I was trying to make sure you're still awake. But that question is never a good question. Who are you? That's a demeaning question. You're, you're pushing this, this group of men down. I know about Jesus, and I'm acquainted with that guy right there, Paul, but you, who are you? Uh, not a good place to be. As you see in your notes, I think the, the best description here is that these mans were, were pretenders. <laughs> they, they, want, they want what many people do today, I think. They want the benefits of Jesus, but they, want to, they do not want anything to do with him. They want the miracles, and they want the signs, And they want the power and the wonder that comes with them that they've watched Paul doing in Ephesus, but they don't know anything and they don't want to do anything. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And that's why Paul continued to preach the gospel. They were pretenders. And they also have no moral or spiritual authority here. Now, here's, here's a practical question for you Do you know people like that? So listen to this. So goes through this 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 in this text here, and then listen to what happens now. Then the man who who was possessed by an evil spirit jumped on them and beat them. Now this is this is literally a complete beatdown. Like if you ever watch any UFC fighting, that co- UFC doesn't even come close to this. And I'm going to tell you why. Listen to the written. They jumped on them and beat them all into submission. It wasn't a one-on-one, on one, one against one. It was one against everybody else. Beat them into submission. And then he says, he prevailed against them so that they fled from that house naked and wounded. There was no lifting up the hand of the winner here because the other people left away. They, they, they lost their clothes in the process. They got a massive beating And now they're humiliated. Now, let me make make a very dangerous application here. I I grew up in Brazil. It's the largest Catholic nation in the world. Brazil has just become the largest Pentecostal nation in the world. And when people walk through the church doors, most of the time, nine out of ten, they want nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. They They want the benefits of it. They want the benefits of it. Most of the times they'll come in, they want to they serve right away because they think they can buy their way into this. Those guys here are doing exactly what Paul was doing. Paul, In one way, Paul was doing miraculous things, so they thought, if I can just do this in the name of the one that this guy is serving, I'm all covered. And you can't do that. And unfortunately... Because God chooses to act and to do things in miraculous ways, in different ways than we are accustomed to, people will judge the gospel based on you, not based on the gospel. Now, listen to what happens. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus. Now, if... (laughs) Ephesus was about 150,000 people. That's the same size city I grew up in. If that had happened in my city, everybody would know within two weeks. That's without technology. This became known to the people in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear came over all of them. In the name of the the Lord Jesus was praised. Now this, this is the purpose of everything a believer should do for to the honor and glory of the one who saved us. And so even though they use this situation for their own benefit, God used that, once again, going back to Pastor David's prayer, God used that to show that he's in control of all things, that even the worst situations, God can turn into something that will come out and give him honor and glory. Now, many of those who believe came forward, and here's the beauty of it. Confessing, number one, and making their deeds known. Now, did you see the order? They confessed first and their deeds came after. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. This is not a a backyard fire here, Okay? It's not the secret agent Bible that goes in a small pocket in front of your shirt and nobody else knows what's going on. No, this is a public event. If we're going to be identified, then we're 100% in. I'm a bad poker player. All my chips are in. And this is what they do. Now, (laughs) this is amazing. When the value of the books was added up, it was found to be, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins, In this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and in prevail. Now, you have a little number down here on your page. 50,000 times eight-hour day equals 400,000 hours. If we work 2,000 hours a year for 30 years, that's 60 years. We're talking about at least eight, eight of us working for our entire lives and burning all that money in front of everybody else is a public demonstration of what Jesus had done for them. You see the difference between those people and the ones, the sons of Shiva? One was willing to give everything up to show that they had been transformed. The other one wanted to get everything in to be able to proclaim to them to themselves and to everybody else: look who we are. And here's a reminder that breaking free requires destroying any ties with one's former way of of life, regardless the cost. Now, let's let's move forward here. Verse 23, as we continue through this. Actually, I'm going to read verse 21 and 22 for us here. Now, after all these things had taken place, Paul resolved to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. He said, after I have been, I have been there, I must also see Rome. So after sending two of his assistants, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, and he himself stayed on for a while in the province of Asia. So this is the last thing that this is going to happen. This is the last thing that Luke's going to describe Paul sending anybody else to move away from him. And here's what happens now. Oops, let me go back here. Here's what happens in verse 23 to 27. At that time, a great disturbance, listen to the main characters here, the main, the main descriptions. A great disturbance took place concerning the way. Remember, once again, this is not about Paul. This is not about the disciples. The concern here is about the way, how the way is transforming people. For a, name, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought a great deal of business to the craftsmen. He gathered these, this together, all the men, along with the workmen in the similar trades, and said, men, now, look at the argument. You know that our prosperity, now, if you ever see somebody actually starting a sentence like that, you know it's probably not going to end very well. Our prosperity comes from this business. And you see in here that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but in practically all the providence of Asia. So he's, he's saying this guy's turned the world upside down. Does that sound familiar? And here's what he said. Verse 26, and you see in here that this man Paul persuaded and turned away a large crowd, and not only in Ephesus, but in practically all the providence of Asia by saying That gods made by hands are not gods at all. There's danger not only that this business of ours will come to this uh, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as nothing. Now you realize it's all about them and then a little bit of religion at the end. And she whom all the province of Asia and the world worship will suffer the loss Of her greatness. Now, Ephesus was was the main city. It was the patron of the city uh, of of the god Artemis, and uh, she was a god of fertility. So everybody's thinking now all the stuff that we've done here, it's gonna go, it's gonna go down the drain. But look at the charges here that they bring. Number one, it's a charge of economy. It's our finances. Listen to the order. Second one, that gods made by hands are not gods at all is a charge of a cultural thing. It's going to affect our culture here. And then third, they put a little bit of religion in this. And isn't that true for most of the situations we go in? There's a lot of us, a little bit of our culture, and a sprinkle of religion. Now, I, I know a thing or two about temples. That doesn't make me an expert. Now, do you guys know what that picture is? Anybody knows what that picture is? Well, this is, this is Solomon's temple in the city of Sao Paulo. They finished that in 2014. It's it's a 600,000 square foot building. 18 stories high. This building doesn't sit a great amount of people inside, but you can tell it's pretty luxurious. They even have the Ark of the Covenant. But here's what they also do in this temple. That's a helicopter. And those are suitcases. You can't see very well in here. They do this every day when they have services in there. Those are full of money. Just last week, one of their pastors was charged with a $30 million uh, corruption scandal. They're taking money of people who make $300 a month for income. Now, this, this, is what, this is what's amazing about this. In your text is going to say right here, in the middle of page five, the temple had become one of the largest banking institutions in the world. Do you see? A lot of me and a lot of my business, a little bit of culture with a sprinkle of religion. Now, let's, let's lend this. Verse twenty-eight. When they heard this, they became enraged. Okay, they started to shout, "Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians!" The city was filled with an uproar. Now they're not satisfied with what's going on, and the crowd rushed to the theater together, dragging with them Gai- Gaius and Aristarchus. The Macedonians were with Paul's traveling companions, but when Paul wanted to enter, he was pretty much prohibited which was a wise thing. If he goes in there, he probably damages the gospel. So not only his disciples, but also the provincial authorities are saying, Paul, this is not a good thing. Once again, they take him to the theater. Probably packed up house, great place. And then this is what happens, verse 32. So then some were shouting one thing, some another. So there's no unity here, okay? For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had met together. <laughs> they had no clue why they're there. I took my wife to the first soccer game in Brazil, and, and I'm, focused, I'm focused on the game. There's 25,000 people there, probably the same amount of people in this stadium right now. And the fans are cheering, and my team's playing, and I'm focused on the game. And all of a sudden, I hear my wife. She's been there for like four months. She's jumping and cheering, and she's singing. And I said to her, and stop singing. It's like, why? She's like, they're cussing. <laughs> she she has no idea. And, uh, I mean, that, that's what's happening here. It's a party, we're going. And so some of the crowd, and I'll just finish reading the text here because we only got a minute. Some of the crowd concluded it was about Alexander, and their conclusion is completely wrong. Alexander has nothing to do with this. But when they recognized, look at verse 34, that he was a Jew. They shouted in unison, great is Artemis. So for them, there's no difference between Jew, Gentile, or Christian. They're all the same. They're not one of us. I mean, Jew and, and Christian. And here's what we see. After the city secretary quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what person is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the keeper of the temple of the great Artemis? Once again, first argument that he does is he appealed to their understanding that the Roman recognized Ephesus as a guardian of the temple now look at the second one her image fell from heaven which means that he he's he's declaring that that Artemis is not made by human hands just like they were saying Paul was complaining about do you see how he's refuting Paul's arguments right now look at number three these men number three these facts are undisputable you you the challenge of confidence that this this man had brought before you. Don't worry about it because everything here is true. And lastly, these men here who are neither temple robbers or blasphemers of our gods, which means they're innocent. Now, we don't have time to go through our intersect, but here's the thing. What the secretary is doing is to try to keep the Pax Romana here. He wants peace. But Paul knows that in order to accomplish peace, he will have to face persecution and difficulties and problems because he knows peace only comes through the gospel. So as you go out here today, just remember, when God brings somebody your way that doesn't look like you, that feels like life is all about themselves, just pray that the Lord will be able to give you wisdom to be able to show them that God's power through the gospel, is enough. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this day. There's so much here. And I just, I just pray that you would be honored and glorified and that by those two things, that you would use us to accomplish the task that you set before us as ambassadors of Jesus to proclaim the gospel to the world and to leave the consequences and the situations that will come out of it in your hands, even the difficult, difficulty ones. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. Bless all the men here today as they go home, as they go to their work. Bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen.